Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider. Call me Spider-Man! I want that ball-crawling arachnid prosecuted! I'm Spider-Man. I want him strung up by his web! Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I want Spider-Man! Hello, true believers. Welcome to the Spider-Man Book Club. This podcast is all about digging into the library of everyone's favorite wall-crawling menace and his spectacular, amazing, ultimate, sensational, all those adjectives, corner of the Marvel Universe, or should I say multiverse. I'm your host, JJ Hodges, and today I'm joined by the Canadian Cape Crusader himself. It's Carlos. How the heck are you today, sir? I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, glad to be back, and it's kind of cool to have recorded... uh episodes in a somewhat small window for us so yeah it's a uh, it's always nice to kind of get in a flow with a guy and uh yeah i'm happy and honored that you have me here today yeah yeah you uh a little while ago i'd asked if there are any like multiverse stories you wanted because coming up soon of course is across the spider-verse at least as at the time of this recording I wanted to do some multiverse stuff and then i also realized it's our 50th episode whoa Yay! Hold for applause. Hold for um, <laughs> and uh, and what better way to kick off the 50th episode than not only talking to a great guy, but one of my favorite Spider-Man stories, which is Spider-Men. Um, you know, and and that might surprise some people that it's my one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Well, probably not my favorite, but uh, it's top five for sure because I don't know. I just you know, it came out. It was one of those books that came out at the right time. It always puts me in a good mood, and it's just a uh, it's just a heartwarming story. Really, you know, I mean, Miles plays a big part of it, but it's really Peter Parker's story, mm-hmm. and um, and that's and it's a very uh, it's a unique story that only this Peter Parker could have with a new Spider Man. Um, if that <laughs> makes any sort of sense, and I think that's interesting about it. <laughs> yeah. For sure. One, especially because so many of us had spent so much time with the ultimate universe's Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just kind of cool, like you said, to see this Peter Parker being dumped into that world and and seeing where things are at. But I'm sure we'll get into all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the story came out between June of 2012 and um, November of 2012, which is right around the time that the... uh, the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man came out the first film, so obviously this was some sort of <laughs> tie into that a little ish. Um, it was written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled and inked by Sarah Pacelli, colored by Justin Ponzer, may he rest in peace, uh, and lettered by Corey Petit. So let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, so Carlos, um, so you you had picked the story. What what made you pick this one out of you know? 61 years of spider-man history uh to be honest like yeah you would you would just kind of ask me if i had a multiverse type of book i wanted to to dive into and honestly i i just found this story fairly recently and uh yeah i thought i'd throw it out there as being one that was somewhat fresh in my mind that i had enjoyed and 
uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised that nobody else had picked it kind of thing. So yep. yeah, it ended up working out perfectly for us. And, uh, and I was happy once I revisited it to have had an excuse to revisit it and just how uh, concise it is because the multiversal stuff, it, they can get a little carried away with all the shiny toys that they have at times. So oh, yeah. um, that this one is just so tucked in is a big part of its charm. So yeah, I'm uh, that's why I picked it. And uh, in revisiting it, I'm very happy that I did. It's it's funny because I normally don't like the way that Bendis writes like the six one six Spider Man because I think mm-hmm. he writes him much more immature than the than the Ultimate Spider Man, uh, which is annoying because they're like a fifteen year age difference. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know what? I can see that. But in this uh, in this book, I, I I think he toned it down enough for me to dig the way he was writing Peter Parker and and this was coming you know about. I want to say a year, maybe, maybe two, maybe a year or two after uh, Miles was introduced. So Miles was still a fairly fresh character to the point where I don't think anybody at this point, other than Bendis, had written him, um, because I think it took a couple years for him to appear in other books, um, and then obviously eventually the the regular Marvel universe after Secret Wars. It's a whole thing, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know when you talk about um, multiversal stories, I I get what you mean. I think sometimes it, it's easy to want to dig into like the the, the really weird, creepy, super or different Spider Man. Almost a Superman. <laughs> We're doing a lot of Superman stuff too on the other show. So forgive me, brain fart. Um, but you know it, it and to the point where the story gets lost because um, it's like we already like these characters, and I think that was sort of the the uh, the nice thing going in is like I already know I like Miles, I already know I like Peter, so I don't need a a refresher course on their origins. You know, you get that the blurb at the beginning of each chapter. You know, like you know, bitten by a radioactive spider. You know, bitten by a genetically altered spider. You know, you can almost hear like the what was his name that did that in Batman sixty six the the introduction. Oh, William Dozer. William Dozer, yeah. Uh, you can almost hear it done in his voice, right? You know, mm. on a high school trip, Peter Parker was fitting. That was a terrible impression, but you know. <laughs> um, but you all get what I mean. I'm rambling on here. I apologize. Um, and I like that the the first chapter, Miles is only in the last panel. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because uh, you you get to see, you know, kind of classic Spider Man. Him talking about how much he loves New York and he's so excited to be around New York even though he can't get a date and the city kind of hates him, but he loves it there. You know, it's, just, it's that kind of fun stuff that I think, despite a lot of heroes living in New York, I feel like you get Spider-Man and then you get like the Ninja Turtles. And those ones are in, just intrinsically linked to New York City. You know what I mean? When I think of New York, I think of that, those characters. Yeah, like they're the only ones that have that same Batman dynamic where he and Gotham City are part and partial of each other right like right um yeah like you could take the fantastic four and dump them in philadelphia and they still do the fantastic four type of things right and right you know they just have to set up their building and same with all the rest of the characters but yeah like spider-man needs to be in new york city and, and the ninja turtles as well for that matter of fact and i think because they historically have 
built so much New York City culture into the stories that we've had with Spider-Man, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it's uh, it's definitely a cool dynamic. And yeah, and that was that was so much of the charm of this one, even though they didn't lean into it very much in the latter st- uh, chapters of the story was just Peter's love affair with New York and getting parachuted into this different New York mm-hmm. that's just adjacent to his um and i th- i think they made the prudent choice with pivoting away from just the similarities and differences between the two worlds to being a character exploration for peter but um yeah i, I like that it factored into the story yeah yeah for sure because uh because miles too you know in you know towards the end of the book he, he's the one that kind of figures it out he's like wait a minute i know that building that building's in brooklyn you know Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice to have these characters that, you know, like like this kid catches something that all the smart people in the room didn't catch, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, they're like, where's he broadcasting from? How's he doing this? You know, we can't figure this out. And then he's like, oh no, it's, it's right there. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I know that building. A, yeah, and such a simple thing where it wasn't some kind of crazy high science that they had to dump on the miles that made it implausible. It's like. Oh yeah, this kid looks out his window and sees that building, and that's why he gets it. And I, and I love how that really built and fed onto the kind of mentorship dynamic that they had between Fury and Miles, mm-hmm. with uh, Fury being kind of a being a spy and being the kind of guy who would be focused on the details of the world around him, mm-hmm. uh, with Miles kind of playing some of those same notes with that little little piece like it was it was wonderful to see um just another little ratchet of the fury miles kind of dynamic that they had going on in this one it, it's nice too because you because fury blames himself for uh for peter's death in that universe mm-hmm. so it it makes sense that he's extremely protective of miles and and then when the new Peter Parker shows up, you know, or to them new, uh, mm-hmm. he's just. And I love how everybody has a different reaction, right? You know, we get the the kind of classic, like, well, the heroes are going to fight before they team up, kind of thing. Um, but in this case, I didn't find it as cliche as it normally could be because Miles is sitting there saying, "Are you Peter Parker?" And of course, Peter's going to be like freaked out, like, "Don't why don't say that? Don't say that name?" You know, kind of. Yeah. Um, so I like that their their little fight made a lot of sense um and i like that miles was also kind of smart about it that he trusted theory to kind of take over the situation whereas mm-hmm. the you know the ultimate peter parker i, I don't think he ever would have done that you know <laughs> he never would have called uh he never would have called theory no and, and yeah I, I like to your point i like that they built on those dynamics that are already in play with these two characters with the 616 Peter Parker being in this new world, trying to figure out what's going on and kind of feeling that he might still be in conventional New York. Cause he kind of has that dialogue about like, have I been knocked out for a while? Like what's going on? Yeah. What's happened to me? Like, why is it daytime now? And then with miles dropping his name and, sending his world upside down um it just made sense and it made sense why there was a conflict it made sense why he would have such a strong reaction uh in opposition to miles uh because of 
the use of his name and stuff like that. And then it also made sense as to why Miles was kind of confused and doing uh, the best he could to manage the situation because mm-hmm. the death of Peter Parker in that universe is still very fresh. Yep. And he, you know, in his very first appearance, he kind of uh, gets a bit of flack for wearing the Spider-Man costume and having superpowers type of thing. So right. um, Bendis has already established that that's a bit of a taboo play. And they also speak to that again with just Peter intervening in the mugging where the guy he saves is like, dude, that's thanks for saving me, but that's in bad taste. Yeah, I, I love that. That's such a good line. <laughs> and and even later when he meets the woman in the convenience store, he's he's like, or, you know, the bodega, whatever. And he's like, I, you know, he's like, what, what's that around your neck? And it's like a Spider-Man pendant. And she's like, you know, I'm honoring the little guy, you know, doing it normal. I'm like you. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's such a funny line that, you know, because they, you know, like, like you said, that was Miles' first appearance in uh, Ultimate Fallout. Uh, you know, where he's dressed, he dressed in kind of a makeshift Spider-Man costume, uh, which got adapted into the movie, which is cool, the Into the Spider-Verse movie. And um, which I, I, I gotta say, I, I like the way um, the, the, the book does it versus how the movie did it, where the movie did it like, like Peter and the other ones, you know, have to go home because they're, you know, they're getting like jumbled up and, and, you know, it's very painful obviously they're if they stay there they're going to die um and i like that we didn't need anything like that for the book the book just needed to be peter has to go home because that's where he belonged kind of a thing it it did like you said it didn't need all the high science stuff of it but for the movie that would have been kind of boring right so it's like it works for the book in a short format but in the movie it's cool to have like a legit reason they all need to go home right yeah well even with the way the movie was set up you didn't want to leave your audience with, well, why doesn't Peter B. Parker just stay in this universe? There's a Mary Jane there for him and his life is terrible back home. (laughs) Right. Right. And, uh, uh, and that, that makes a lot of sense too, because it, you know, just not only are are they in like completely different situations, but it's like, you know, well, you know, just stay here, you know, make things work with MJ. I'll explain everything. You know, it's like, that would just be silly. It's like, no, you know, you know, my atoms are all jazzed up. I got to get out of here. <laughs> um, and, you know, and the movie serves its own purpose as opposed to this book. But because this was the first time that um, the ultimate universe crossed over with the, uh, uh, the 616 universe. And it um, really one of my and I and I didn't really realize that until it was being solicited. I read interviews with Bendis and he kept saying that, like, oh, yeah, it's the first time that they're meeting. And I was like no it isn't they've done that before and i was like wait a minute like no they haven't have they and it, it kind of worked because bendis was the first one to to write an ultimate book you know he started ultimate spider-man and he wrote you know over 200 issues of it you know it's, it's crazy um so i love the idea that we got to see that it was bendis who got to do it and got to do it with spider-man and i don't think the story would have been as impactful if it was just Peter Parker meeting Peter Parker, right? Like, as much as we love, like, the Into the Spider-Verse stuff um, or the, um, the the actual Spider-Verse comic book, you know, I'm a huge fan, but it just, it has a whole different meaning when he's meeting a different Spider-Man, not only a different Spider-Man, but his, he is dead in that universe. 
So it's it's just all kinds of emotions are <laughs> flailing about. Well, yeah, and that's that's probably the greatest charm of this book and probably the most powerful stuff is just the emotional journey that Peter goes on exploring this world in which he's dead and he has a really hard time reconciling that right where you know if they had leaned into the superhero trappings of this stuff he could have ignored it and it'd just be his big quest to get home and punch Mm -hmm. it up with Mysterio and whoever else you want have the 616 Spider-Man fight the uh, ultimate universe versions of his uh, rogues gallery and to be honest, most cases, that's the story that they would have told, but instead they went the opposite way. And it's just like him checking on how it's affected Aunt May and him uh, getting a pulse on what the dynamic was between this universe's Peter and Gwen and uh, the Mary Jane dynamic factor. And so, uh, like, yeah, it was a way quieter book than it probably would have normally been, but I think it made the story that much more special. Uh, I agree because I think this, what the story does well is, is you really get into Peter's mind because, you know, it, because I was thinking about it when I was reading and I was like, I don't know how, if I ended up in another universe somehow, how I would react to news that I was dead or if it was like a George Bailey situation, I'd never been born or something, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, not even in like a morbid way, just in like, a very curious kind of way. Sometimes I wonder that, like, I wonder what the world would look like without me. And it's like, I know for sure these people would be different. You know, I know for sure that, you know, my daughter wouldn't exist and that's already bad. Um, but it's just like weird stuff like that, that I, I'm sure everybody has those thoughts, right? You know? Well, yeah, that's where these kind of stories are born from, right? Where it's yeah. just like everybody has these thoughts, but the guys with that creative touch and the ability to write and... Mm-hmm. that god-given talent uh, are the ones that give us stories like this so it's uh yeah it's and i think what's what's great about it is like kind of a, a twist in the story with the fact that the ultimate mysterio is actually the 616 mysterio um because i don't think that had been revealed yet um I, I could be wrong but i remember reading that and going oh that's kind of cool and and even Tony Stark's like, I don't know what this is. Like, he's got stuff that's way more advanced than than what I have. And and it kind of makes sense because the Ultimate Universe, even though they eventually went into like, they did do alien stuff and other dimensions, you know, with the Fantastic Four and such, they still were mostly grounded in some form of reality. Whereas, you know, the 616 has been playing with wackiness since Stanley and Jack Kirby were, <laughs> you know, probably smoking weed in the, in the editor's room back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that was the thing with that 616 universe or the ultimate universe is that it was supposed to be just like a stripped down, more grounded, a little darker type take on the Marvel universe. Because yeah. like, yeah, the Marvel books were kind of floundering at that point in time. And mm-hmm. they uh, they really paid the price of getting a bit too wacky and um, getting a bit too unmanageable, like Spider-Man... Like Ultimate Spider-Man is a direct product of the Clone Saga. Yes, <laughs> and Ultimate X-Men was kind of, you know, like Fatal Attractions, and they had a whole bunch of other X events at the time that I don't think went off nearly as well as they had hoped. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of born, but it went off like gangbusters. Like, I I vividly remember 
people dumping all their Marvel books and being like, yeah, I'm just all in on the Ultimate Universe because it's way more interesting, way more dynamic. They they certainly had stronger writers on those books than they did the the conventional Marvel stuff. And yeah, yeah, honestly, like I read the Ultimate stuff and by and large gave up on the 616 universe because it just wasn't doing anything for me uh for for a long time i i was similar uh where it it just it, if it wasn't bendis writing it, it it didn't interest me for a long time because uh with the exception of some of the marvel or excuse me the ultimate stuff because it just was like i feel like he he's the only one that knows what he's doing you know at least for a while you know now they have much better writers but uh at the time it was just some of the stuff was just very by the numbers just not interesting when it's like you know what makes these stories great is when you take risks when you go big or go home and you know that's why it bugs the crap out of me when you have like an issue where captain america says hail hydra at the end of it and then readers quote-unquote fans go freaking ballistic over it you know like oh this is the worst thing to ever happen blah 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 i'm just like it's a story it's the first chapter of what's going to be for going on for a while here at least like Sit your ass down and read it and shut up. And it's okay not to like a story, but it's quite another to be a psychopath about him, you know? Yeah, it's weird, man. It's like, um, I don't know, not to get like all political or sociological, sociological, but like, yeah, it's the result of a whole pile of folks not having any coping mechanisms whatsoever. Yeah. And it's just like, I need things delivered to me exactly how I want them, prepackaged. No surprises. Nothing outside of uh, very, uh, very rigid boundaries, which is unfortunate because that robs you of um, discovering things and enjoying cool stories like this one. Yeah, it, it, it totally does. And, you know, having a, a black kid be Spider-Man, you know, if, if that's the worst thing that happens to you today, I, I'd say you're doing just fine. You know, yes. <laughs> um, and I like that Peter kind of, you know, is, is sort of calling attention to it. He's like, it's like, hold on. So, why aren't you Spider Boy? Also, why is your costume cooler than mine? You know, <laughs> yeah. like stuff like that. But it's almost it's like questions that the audience is asking, but Peter gets to ask them. And uh, it's it, true, it, though, eh? Like Spidey's costume, I love it, and it's such a classic and one of my favorites. Until you have Miles next to him, and it's like, oh shoot, <laughs> yeah, that one is <laughs> way awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, he, he does look way cooler than you do. But I also love that uh, it, and it's smart because they showcase it a little bit here too. You know, they don't really touch, they don't really like talk about it, but that Miles can do things that Peter can't do. You know, he can turn invisible, he has a venom blast, and it was, um, you, you know, you, you have kids. I'm sure you've seen the Despicable Me movies. Yes. So it uh, at the end of the story when they catch Mysterio and Miles, <laughs> Miles goes venom blast <laughs> and hits him. It just made me think of Despicable Me. Uh, I think two when. You know, he would always announce what weapon he has, and the Christian Wig character was like, "You shouldn't announce it before you use it. That gives your opponent time to, to stop oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you need to announce it after you use it." And then she's like, "Lipstick taser." Uh, yeah, and the freeze ray, right? That yeah, was uh, his He's like, freeze ray. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he does it in the first one. He freezes everybody at the coffee shop. <laughs> um, man, those are good movies. Um, I haven't seen the third one, but and I hate the minions. They're great in those movies, but outside of that. Bleh. Anyway, <laughs> um, th that's another thing about this, you know. So the the six one, like I said, the six one six Mysterio is the ultimate Mysterio, which I thought was a good twist. And even better than that, I like the idea that he 
he's like he's literally this close to winning <laughs> you know yeah. he's like he's like i trapped him there he's gonna he's everything he has for him here is gone now he you know he's stuck there and i and then he goes you know and then he's just like why isn't enough i'll just take a peek inside and i just had the laugh going like man like it, you you had it man what what's the matter with you you dummy <laughs> yeah like if i have a and I don't know that it's even a complaint or a critique of the story because there is something to be said for how focused and condensed it was, but it yeah. felt a little anticlimactic. Like even just ending in five issues as opposed to six, and sure. just the way it happens, where it's like they're just camped out on the other side, and Mister that happens to be the moment that Mysterio decides to take a peek and yeah, it's pulled through. A great moment for sure. Yeah, but uh, it just it just all climax really really quick, especially when a couple of pages before and the end of the last book, you have the Avengers show up, and you're like, oh okay, well Tony Stark and all the assets of Shield are gonna figure out how to get this guy back, and mm-hmm. um, it ends up co- closing in a pretty concise way, which uh, it, it was just interesting as much as anything. Like I, I don't know. If it was a bad thing or a good thing, I'd love to pick Bendis's brain to find out why that happened that way. Maybe, maybe I would imagine just the constraint of just it being five issues for whatever reason, as opposed to six or seven, um, twelve even, which I think would have been too many. <laughs> yeah, like five is just such a weird number. Like I, I, outside of Legends of the Dark Knight, which used to pretty regularly do five issue story arcs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um. I can't think of any other series that was like five issues. Like it was always six or 12. There, there's your, yeah, cause I remember in, in some, it's like some books would have like, like five issues of the main story and the six chapters, like some sort of epilogue. Uh, but those yeah. are usually for like long running books versus like a mini series, which is typically three to six issues, you know? Um, but I like the, that uh, the story just, you know, it, it's, it's, it makes sense for Peter's journey in it, because I like that when he's fighting Mysterio in the beginning and then he gets transported to the other Earth, it, it makes sense that he would be confused. It makes sense, even when he's talking to Nick Fury, you know, he's he's still, like, not 100% sure what's going on. And um, and then after the big fight where Mysterio drugs the two Spider-Men, it's, you know, it, it makes sense that he would bail. He would go, nope, I, I this, this has to be some sort of dream. This has to be a Mysterio trick. So it it makes sense that he would think that. And I also like Miles' side of it where he doesn't understand yet that it's all none of it's really happening. It's all fake, even though it's kind of like I don't know, like I don't want to say hard light constructions because it isn't, but it's it's weird, you know, the yeah. that the stuff they're seeing can hurt them. Although kind of a cool um uh cool twist on Mysterio's powers, you know. Um but it it's also just um it makes sense for Miles to not really understand, like, wait, you know, what's happening? What's what's going on here? And, and Peter trying to calm him down, like, this isn't real. You have to, yeah, you got to trust me on this. And and then he's like, that felt real. It made me think of Batman Beyond, right? The <laughs> first time he fights uh, Spellbinder, he says that. He's like, yes. Gary, no, uh, none of it's real. He gets knocked over the head. He's like, that felt real. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I like... Uh, for as much as Mysterio isn't really one of my favorite characters, I think when done well, like this, and uh, I think uh, 
the Kevin Smith Daredevil story. You know, yes. Yes. Like, like the best mysterious stuff out there, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I love that story so much. Like it's just, um, Mysterio when done right, kind of like with the Scarecrow and Batman books, they've overdone it. But um, when Mysterio can pull those threads and get your characters to kind of collapse in on themselves um, based on all their inner insecurities and whatnot, like, yeah, it's just great stuff. And something that the other characters really can't pull out of our heroes. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on Mysterio, man. Where, when he's done right, he he tops them all as far as being able to tell compelling stories. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's uh, it's it's just funny to have this uh, this ending where, you know, this the six one six Mysterio is now trapped in the Ultimate Universe, and he's and and uh, and Peter's like, wait, you're gonna keep him here? And Fury's like. Does everyone know you're Peter Parker over there? He's like, no. He's like, well, keep him here. Then he's like, oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but that helped me out a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I um, love that resolution too. <laughs> it, it just, and I like that. You know, the like I said, there there is a there's a very clear shift in Fury's attitude post death of Peter Parker. You know, mm-hmm. like that he very much is protective of not just Miles, but he sees the new Peter, and he's, you know. It's like I, I gotta look after this kid too. And he says that at one point the the start, you know, he's like, you know, I made I made promises to the kid, promises that I didn't get to keep, you know, and, and he and uh he gets to see it as kind of a uh a, a redemption sort of. Whereas like May gets to kind of see all the you know, and I love the way it's written where she it seems like she's very uh proud of the fact that Peter grew up and he was still Spider Man. Because I, you would imagine that this woman's nephew died on their front lawn because he was Spider-Man. She probably blames herself, just like Fury does. Like, I could have stopped him from doing it, you know, she'd be alive if it wasn't for me. And then she sees that, well, in another universe, he grew up. And he's mm-hmm. still Spider-Man. And he's doing great. So maybe I wasn't wrong, you know. And it's just such a, it's such a cool resolution there that I don't think... Um, you know, that I, I again, in the hands of a lesser writer, lesser talent... It, it just would have come across either hokey or weird, but it, in this one, it comes across, at least from my end, very emotional. Like, like yes, you know, she says it right away. She's like, I made the right choices. I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, and you make a great point with Peter showing up and the way they handled um, those interactions in this story. It provides almost a bit of a redemption tale mm-hmm. for uh may and gwen and gives them a bit of closure where they get to have a conversation with peter that it's all right for them to kind of move on and they're doing right by him which means by extrapolation they're doing right by the peter that they lost type of thing so yeah Yeah. i it, it it was a pretty pretty phenomenal thing to implant in this story and quite frankly like almost make it the core of this story um and yep. i don't think anybody other than bendis could have done it just because like it's almost more of a ultimate universe story than it is a 616 spider-man story right yeah 100 percent. and and in a in essence you know in, in a way he created all these characters right 
Like he created that Aunt May. He created that Gwen. You know, even the brief bits that MJ is in there. And even her reaction to it, I really loved. And uh, and, and I like that he didn't have a moment with Peter. Like it just, you know, it would have been a little too sappy, right? <laughs> well, and just, yeah, and like weird because he's like a grown ass man and she's like a teenage girl type of thing, right? Right. And yeah, I, I think they handled it really well. Um, yeah, especially given all the weird relationship dynamics that were on the table when when that Peter Parker died. Right, right, and and I love that they they really and again like when they talk about like the differences between this universe and that universe, I love that they really highlight it in a uh, in a fun way. And and again, because Bendis is a talented writer, it doesn't feel like annoying that they spend a good chunk of the story like a, a fifth of it just kind of talking about each other's differences right you know it's just like to me it's fun you know it's like oh oh is mj a supermodel yet it's like he's a supermodel and she's like man man if you had to pick between her and me to be a supermodel you know it's just <laughs> it's it's just like that fun like energy that you get with uh, you get with a good writer and a writer who does a really good job of writing kids you know um i mean that's because bendis's house is full of kids but you know yeah um when i thought that that was cool that they like that's where they had their fun with the multiverse toys yeah right was uh, things like those gwen moments and her being so curious as to what the different dynamics were yeah more sort of get a leg up on on mj than they were anything else like it just yeah it's it's ultimately more rewarding than see 616 peter parker punch this the ultimate universe doc ock in the face type of thing right 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 it's and you know and that would have all been awesome i'm sure you know especially with uh sarah pacelli's art she's fantastic yes. um yeah. one of the and you know i had a i had a chance to meet her at a comic-con a few years ago and if I memory serves, like she did, she did have like a thick like Italian accent, but yeah. and I was not expecting that. Uh, but it was she was she was lovely. Um, yeah, and, and even based in Italy, isn't she? I think so. Um, so it, it's always that kind of stuff that that I think is so awesome to have a writer and artist who, like, for my money, the, the best comic books are the ones where you can't tell the difference between the writing and the art in the sense that. Oh, I just read a great story, and I can't wait to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that perfect marriage. Yeah, yeah. That, and it's it's more rare than you would think that yeah. perfect marriage of writer and artist. But when it happens, it's fantastic. And and you know, and the Spider-Man books are so high profile. It's like you got to get the best on there. That's why John Romina Jr. just can't get away from it. <laughs> He's gone back to Spider-Man. You know. Um, and say yeah. with Mark Bagley's been drawing them for they're both been drawing Spider-Man for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that uh maybe I shouldn't say on your 50th episode, but I, I wouldn't be <laughs> one of the loud voices saying uh Lumita Jr. is one of the best for I you know, I I don't disagree. I just but I, I recognize that there's uh you know clout there, right? There's clout and speed. Like I, I got to give him credit that that guy can crank out books like it's nobody's business, and and that and that's what cracks me up about it. Like I said about Bagley and him, it's like they've been drawing Spider Man for thirty years, and it's just like on, in Bagley's case, I I I think it looks better than ever. 
you know, um, especially, you know, from the, uh, the ultimate book gone. And, uh, you know, he did some variant covers for this story, you know, and it's like, it's like, yeah, so it's like, who, who should we do this story with? With Bagley or with Sarah Pacelli, who, you know, one created Ultimate Spider-Man, the other one created Ultimate, you know, or, or Miles Morales, mm -hmm. uh, you know? <laughs> um, I would imagine there was some sort of debate <laughs> in the uh, in the story pitching. Yeah, she's, like, for my money, I would, it, there's no contest. I, I think she's the the stronger of the two artists okay. particularly when drawing the supporting cast yeah she draws the uh and, and it's great to have stories where i feel like the because there were quite a few spider-man stories i've read for this uh this podcast uh written like in the 80s where you know mary jane is pretty much in lingerie the whole issue <laughs> and it's and it's nice to have you know you know i mean gwen has like crop tops and stuff but you know for the most part, they look like women, you know, and they're not just like what men think women should look like, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like 90s comics are pretty ridiculous, right? Like oh, yeah. no further than the the, the beloved run of X-Men. Where it's just, well, I was, yeah. was going to say Sue Storm's costume in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, 90s Sue Storm was pretty ridiculous for sure. Yeah. Which it's shocking that they didn't make Jessica Alba wear that in the in the Fantastic Four movies she was in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with small mercies, I guess, right? <laughs> She's like, hold up that comic. I'm not wearing that. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you're right. There's gonna be a skin tight suit, though, so we still win. Uh, um, anyway, I'm assuming the wine scenes were there. They probably weren't, but who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, one thing that's really great about this story is, you know, you get. Like you said, you get this great emotional journey with uh, with Peter, but I like that Miles. Miles, it it also cements Miles as a great character too, as a great hero because he, you know, he assesses the situation, you know, he asks the right questions, and you know, he does do a little bit of, you know, like pushing towards the end, leaping without looking kind of thing. He does well, does it earlier too, but at the same time, he you see him learning how to be a better hero and you know and i like when he goes into peter's world like he's kind of like excited and he's only there for like two panels um but then when he comes back it's just he doesn't like he's not really phased by it he's like oh, i was in this other universe and but understands that he didn't belong there had to come right back and that wasn't his place to switch with peter or anything like that and, you know i'm reading very much into the <laughs> in between the lines there but but again, I, I love, uh, this was early in Miles' career, and I love seeing where uh, where he started, you know, because I think he's such a fascinating character. You know, I'm so glad he's in these, these two movies, upcoming three, I guess. Um, and I hope we get to see him in the MCU soon, because he just, it's not a character you want to just sit on, right? Yeah, like I, I don't know, I'm kind of torn. Like, I don't know that the MCU will do Miles justice. But I really <laughs> hope that Sony has some some backbone and like just carves out doing like a proper Miles Morales Spider Man story. Like, yeah, maybe you reintroduce Andrew Garfield and have him as your quote unquote ultimate Spider Man, who then makes way for Miles Morales' Spider Man to be the Spider Man in your Sony Spider Man movies and. 
do a good job of them. Don't zone them up. <laughs> um, yeah, let's or, not go the Morbius route. <laughs> yeah, or if you're really bold and he doesn't want to do the movies anymore, like just take your Tom Holland Spider-Man back and kill him off and introduce Miles Morales that way, right? Like I, yeah. I, I do agree with you that Miles Morales definitely is earned a spot and a, a time to shine on the big screen in live action type of thing. But yeah, um, if they're not going to do it right, I'm happy with the Spider-Verse version of things. Like I don't sure far from home, my boy miles up, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think if you're creative and bold, you could have him be one of the greatest silver screen heroes going. Yeah. Um, if he's not already in that via the animated space. And, and I think we've gotten lucky. We've had uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon where they did their version of Spider-Verse, and Donald Glover was the voice of uh, of, uh, of Miles. Uh, and I thought, and I watched, I, I didn't really like the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Some of the way cartooniness they went with it bugged me sometimes. Um, yeah. But, uh, but there were stuff like that that I thought was a great Easter egg for the fans because you know there were rumors of... Uh, <clears throat> of uh, Donald Glover playing Spider-Man in a movie and and the only real real world thing that happened was the first episode of Community Season 2 he's wearing Spider-Man pajamas you know um, yeah <laughs> so I, I don't know it, but apparently that's what inspired Bendis uh, to create Miles he saw that episode and was like oh wouldn't it be cool to have a black Spider-Man and then you know the idea went from there yeah, well, and Glover had that um, that part of his comedy show where he talks about the backlash where it was like it was never really a a substantive thing that he was going to play Spider-Man, but just yeah. watching the internet melt down about um, the prospect of him playing Spider-Man and telling him he should go play Shaft or whatever, or make Shaft white. It, it yeah. was great. It gets it's very funny. Yeah, it has me in stitches every time. So, <laughs> yeah. It, but you know what? If people being ignorant on the internet is what led us to Maz Morales, like Bravo, Mike Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's <clears throat> like he's such a great character, and you know, and it's funny because <clears throat> you know, I think as of now, like Shamik Moore is it kind of in my brain. Like when I was reading this book his voice is who I was hearing is Miles, you know, mm-hmm. and just has that youthful, fun energy. And, um, you know, and I'm excited for the, the upcoming movie and, uh, and it's eventual sequel. And gosh, I just, I'm like, you know, I'm excited for more of those movies in general. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's going to be dope. I know that, uh, he's attending our, our local convention here and he's the, the one that my kid selected to go meet and oh, yeah? autograph or a photo with or whatever. So it just goes to show like the impact that um, he's had in that role, like yeah. that in a, in a Christmas movie season where we got an Aquaman movie, a Transformers movie and a Spider-Verse movie. There's only one of, one of those films that I saw three times and, mm. and it was Spider-Verse. So, but, hey, we had a we had a good Christmas that year. <laughs> we, we did. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, I just I just would end up repeating myself, but I, I love that the story just it it didn't need to have any world ending stakes, and it was much more personal than I think 
these types of stories tend to be because they tend to be like if these two worlds are colliding it's because they're literally colliding and there's only you know so much time before we can you know get them back to their right places or whatever but no 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 this, this one was just i'm stuck here and it's a lot like my world and i want to see what it's all about and and have a wacky adventure along the way of course but <laughs> yeah. um no i i love that it was uh uh very human and uh character based story yeah. that's uh what makes this one stand head and shoulders above so many other multiversal type shenanigans yeah yeah totally agree um carlos this has been such a blast uh getting to talk to you about this and for being on the 50th episode you win a no prize yeah yeah that's, you, yeah. <laughs> that's you, the most you, appropriate you win me just by being here the pleasure of my company <laughs> hey man uh, that, that, that's a prize i'll take any day Oh, yeah. well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks uh, for having me. And um, yeah, honored that it ended up being your 50th anniversary episode. And uh, what a cool book, right? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beaut, Clark. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, I, I do want to do the sequel at one point. So we'll see, you know, what happens there. Because I need to reread it. I remember not liking it nearly as much as I liked the first one. Um, but maybe maybe a reread will you know put new perspective on it for me. Yeah, like I do own like I bought both of these books just in a one of the stores here that I shop at quite frequently. Um, he's got a a little cutout under a, a set of stairs where he dumps trades for um, rock bottom prices kind of thing. I I don't know mm. if they're just overstocks or ones that he's bought from collections, but. I ended up getting both Spider-Man one and the, the sequel for like 10 bucks for the pair of them. Hmm. And um, yeah, the, the word on Spider-Man two was so resoundingly bad that I never actually sat down and read it. So who knows, you know what, maybe, uh, maybe we'll plan and I'll give it a, a virginized read before we record the story or the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, I think almost any comic is worth a reread. There's been very few in my life I've read and said that was the worst freaking thing I've ever read and thrown it away or something, you know. Because yeah. uh, even, even uh, well, um, <laughs> I, I was actually thinking, uh, well, yeah, because that, that is really bad. Uh, but uh, the Catwoman side of the death of the family story was ugh, garbage. <laughs> I, I hated that so much. <laughs> <laughs> the death of the family. I vaguely remember that, but yeah, I remember it not being good. Yeah. The Batgirl stuff was great, and you know the Batman and Robin stuff. The main story, just that one was just <laughs> not the yeah. uh, not the finest work. I think it was. Uh, I won't play here. Never mind. <laughs> you can look it up, folks. All right, Carlos. Uh, if people are bouncing between worlds looking for you, uh, where can they find you? You know what? Right now, just uh, just on the old uh, tweet streets there, uh, just Canadian Cape Crusader is my handle. Um, uh, yeah, I have an Instagram that I don't post on, and um, <laughs> Twitter Twitter is where I'm at. You'll always find me. Always happy to interact. Um, welcome, nice DMs, and uh, yeah, yeah, Canadian Cape Crusader is my uh, my handle. And uh, yeah, if you give me a follow, I'll follow you back and. We can uh, geek out about Spider-Man or any other geeky stuff one would like. Uh, 
He's a big Flash Thompson fan, so that's the way to his heart there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, and uh, as for me, you can find me at Spider-Man Books on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow my personal account, which is at 4ComicJunkies. That's F-O-R Comic Junkies. Uh, speaking of 4 Comic Junkies, follow the 4 Comic Junkies podcast wherever you get your podcast. And the Spider-Man Book Club fans, uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Please write a review, subscribe, get the get the word out there. And that word, of course, is Excelsior times 50.